Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 20 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we watched our first horror musical on the show, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, from 2007. (laughs) Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to remind everyone that our second audience feedback survey is now live. We'd really appreciate it if you could go fill out that short survey to help us make season three of Drinking and Screaming awesome. You can find it at bit.ly slash survey 2020 The link is on all of our social media and it'll definitely be in this episode's description. This episode will contain discussion on rape and sexual assault. So if that's something that you don't need to hear today, that is totally okay. Feel free to skip this episode. Now back to the episode. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be bloody delicious. Oh, I get it. Because they're British. Yeah. And they say bloody a lot. Ha! Ha ha ha. What a, what a rocking good pun. Whoa. And what does this drink look like? Uh, well, it's got a glass and there's some ice in it and a liquid. <laughs> Oh, and it looks like blood. Oh. Oh, I get the double meaning. Whoa. <laughs> and if you were to guess, whose blood would it be? Uh, Sweeney Todd's. <laughs> That's a good guess. But no, I decided that this cocktail's name would be Judge's Blood. Ooh. Because I wanted it to be like the sweet, sweet revenge that Sweeney Todd gets at the end of his film. Whoa, spoilers. So uh, it's like a. I wanted it to be bloody, so it's red. It's kind of thick due to the liquors that we put inside it. I did want that extra sweetness. So this is like a dessert drink, I would say. And it's also very strong. Just yeah, so you it know. is quite strong. <laughs> <laughs> it is very sweet. It is. It's like a candy drop. Like if yeah. you condense this into like a solid form, it would be a, a candy. We used Mad Labs vanilla cherry kombucha. In this, as well as um, some of their gin six, which is the main component of the drink. Ooh. Yeah, because she says, how about a nice spot of gin? Mm-hmm. And then the kid gets plastered. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be in my drink. And then we're going to get plastered on gin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Mm. I think what we're going to have to do is after the episode, we're just going to have to try like three or four variations. and <laughs> Just really nail down the uh, consistency of this drink. Right. Of course. Yeah. Good plan. But yeah, Judge's Blood. I'm really proud of this one. I felt kind of like pressured to make this drink. I wanted it. At first, I was thinking of doing Pirelli's Miracle Elixir, Mm -hmm. but nothing that we had in the house would really go with that. Plus, it's supposed to be like pee. And I thought that would be gross. I'd much rather drink blood than drink (laughs) pee. So... (laughs) I mean, your original idea was to make a pie, which also seems like a lot of work. The work is fine. I do. Actually, I've learned how to make some really good pies lately. And when I say lately, I mean like a year ago when we used to go shopping. (laughs) When we could get pie components. (laughs) I still want to maybe do that one day. Maybe when we revisit this. Mm. Future, future seasons from now when we have to do like rewatches. When they make a remake of uh, 2027. Sweeney Todd. Whoa, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So this week we watched Sweeney Todd, which premiered on December 21st of 2007. It was directed by Tim Burton and the screenplay was written by Christopher Bond. But it's based on the musical. And when I say based on, it's basically the musical word for word uh, whose music and lyrics were written by Stephen Sondheim. And the book of the musical was by Hugh Wheeler. I think I just realized that looking at Tim Burton's name has most of the letters of Tim Hortons. And so my brain cannot decipher the fact that that isn't a coffee uh, restaurant. That is fair. Yeah. Yep. I can see that with dyslexia. This film stars Johnny Depp as murderous barber Sweeney Todd, Helena Bonham Carter as loving pie shop owner Mrs. Lovett, and Alan Rickman as the rapist and grooming Judge Turpin. This synopsis I stole from IMDb. And you it's, thief. I am a thief. At least it wasn't bread, because then this would be a whole different musical. You know? Aladdin? Ah, good. That is that is a right answer. I was thinking of Les Mis. Oh, yeah. 
But oh. yeah, Aladdin is very good too. <laughs> but our dear friend Claudio from IMDb, you're back with this lovely synopsis. Thank you, my friend. In Victorian London, the barber, Benjamin Barker, is married to the gorgeous Lucy and they have a lovely child, Joanna. The beauty of Lucy attracts the attention of the corrupt Judge Turpin, who falsely accuses the barber of a crime that he did not commit and abuses Lucy later after gaining custody of her. After 15 years in exile, Benjamin returns to London under the new identity of Sweeney Todd, seeking revenge against Turpin. He meets the widow, Mrs. Lovett, who is the owner of the worst pie shop in London. She tells him that Lucy swallowed arsenic many years ago and Turpin assigned himself as Joanna's guardian. Sweeney opens a barber service above Mrs. Lovett's pie shop, initiating a crime rampage against those who made him suffer and lose his beloved family. And then I'll just wrap this up for you. Mrs. Lovett continues to dream about her new life with Mr. T, and she takes in the street urchin Toby as her adopted son. The pie shop and barber business begin to thrive when they realize they can use Sweeney's victims as literal fresh meat for the pies. One by one, Todd wreaks his revenge on all who wronged him. But young Toby and a beggar woman begin to suspect suspicious ongoings. <laughs> suspect suspicious in these businesses. I wrote it and I forgot it. Meanwhile, a young man named Anthony falls in love with Joanna by staring at her outside her locked window. He manages to break her free of the judge's home and takes her to Todd's shop. Joanna witnesses her, unknown to her, father murder the old beggar woman who came to ask some questions. And it turns out that she's actually his beloved wife, Lucy. So... It turns out that she became mentally unwell after trying to kill herself with poison all those years earlier, which Mrs. Lovett knew about. So Joanna runs away with Antony, the two never to be seen again. Sweeney Todd, now freshly familyless once again, kills Mrs. Lovett in a rage by throwing her into the meat pie oven. And the film ends with Toby slitting Todd's throat as he sits staring down at his poor beloved Lucy. Sad. It is sad, <laughs> but don't worry. There are songs. It's yeah, very gonna, upbeat. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Everyone sings about it. Your emotions don't have to matter if you sing about them, right? What is the exactly? What is the hierarchy? It's like if you can project your emotion, you talk about it, and if you can't, you sing about it. And if you still can't sing about your uh, emotions, you do a dream ballet. That's it. You got it. <laughs> ten out of ten. Hit me with that trailer audio. This is the tale of an ordinary man who had everything. Barker's name was Benjamin Barker. Until a man of power stole his freedom, destroyed his family, and banished him. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. For life. And in his sorrow, a new man was born. All right! You, sir! No one's in the chair. Come on, come on! Sweeney's waiting. I want you, pleaders. You, sir! Two, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have been. I didn't like it. <laughs> they made it seem like it was an action movie for most of it. And then it, and then it was good. <laughs> also, was it just me or did the music not line up with the actual song itself in the trailer? Because they did the one where Sweeney's like walking through the street pointing at everybody and it sounded like the backing track was like timed improperly. Oh, I didn't notice that. Although I also find that a lot of the songs in Sweeney Tong, Todd, the songs are timed improperly. It's very syncopated. Yeah, that's definitely a word. <laughs> this is going to be Shar's episode to say good words. Yay, because it's a musical. I can see, though, that they would frame it that way to get asses in the seats, though. Yes, especially with a like a musical. I know that like Disney kind of corners the market on like musical movies and people mm -hmm. are like, fuck yeah, we're going to go watch our Lion King and it'll be a musical. But like, I feel like to get people into a theater to watch a musical is probably like actually a hard task for the most part. Yeah. Into the Woods did a similar trailer. And I remember once my friends and I were going to see Into the Woods at Guzo Ooh. in Montreal movie theater. Don't go there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The ticket, the person at the ticket booth was like, you know, it's a musical, right? Wow. And I was like, that's why I'm here. Are you sure you I, <laughs> I don't want you to worry about this? Yeah, which was weird. Um, but I'm glad that they included the song and it was a very good song to choose. That's my favorite. One it, of my favorites. It's the most action one. <laughs> yeah, it's very dramatic and murderous. Now that I think about it, the 
only like musical musical that I went to the theaters to see was uh, Les Mis. And Ooh. I did not think that it was the kind of musical that it was going in. Right. Because I'm pretty sure that the trailers didn't make it seem like that. Which is interesting because Les Mis is only singing. Yeah. Or talk singing. But yeah. I, I like I would have to watch a trailer again now, but I'm pretty sure the way that it was pitched was like, oh, they're not talk singing the entire time. Mm. There, there's it's Wolverine and uh, the Gladiator just fighting in British streets. Well, that's basically what this made it seem like as well. But they took almost every spoken line and somehow managed to fit it in that trailer. Cause there's not that much dialogue in Sweeney Todd. Yeah. It's like, Hey, do you like, uh, Edward- Wait, what's your rush? <laughs> uh- <laughs> do you like Edward Scissorhands or almost any other movie that Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham, Car- bon- Bonham Carter have been in? Yeah. Yeah. Then you'll love this. Was this after the first pirates? Um, it was, he was rehearsing for this film while he was actually filming Pirates. They came out in the same year. Okay. I don't know. I imagine that Pirates technically came out first because this came out in December. So I was going to say that would probably be an also a really good way to like pitch this movie to non-musical fans is to be like, hey, do you like your favorite drunken pirate? Do you want him more British? <laughs> And with a white streak in his hair. Yeah. Whoa. A white streak that flips back and forth from which side of its head it's on. Is that a fact? Yeah. Is that a fact that was going to be in your facts? No, I didn't include it. Is it just editing or costume? I think they just made a mistake. Yeah. Okay. Or they've flipped shots. I didn't read too much into it because I was like, eh, whatever. I didn't notice it while we were watching. Because I can't imagine that a wig person. Would fuck that up. Wig Wigster? Um, Wigmaster. Wigmaster would fuck that up. Like, I've met a few Wigmasters, and they're very particular. You've met a few Wigmasters? You know, it's Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. Theater scene's pretty big. Yeah. All right, we have to jump in because I got some facts, and I also have a lot to say because I love musical theater, I love this movie, and I love the musical Sweeney Todd. So, whoa, so much love. This podcast is going to eat you up. Huh? Huh? But I have to start with something not so good, which is too bad because I do love this film. But I'm starting with a scaredy fact. Ooh. Breaking the rules. Starting with a... Scaredy point. (laughs) Because uh, this film butchers Joanna's character, which really drove me a bit crazy. This movie butchers most characters, if if we're being honest. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) So in the stage musical, when Anthony comes to get Joanna from the insane asylum, Anthony somehow is unable to kill the warden. Like he can't bring himself to do it. So she has to take the gun from Anthony and kills the warden herself. Whereas in the movie, this was changed to Joanna taking a more passive role in her escape. And Anthony ends up letting the women inmates kill the warden instead, which that was cool. Yeah. But my point is that I really wanted if they were going to change it to have the women of the ward kill this man who's been abusing them and berating them. It would be so much cooler if Joanna was the one to say it. Why take all of her agency away and give it to Anthony? She is the object of desire for one of the characters. Whoa, way to just fuel me into the second (laughs) half of this point because they cut the song Kiss Me. Which is really where Joanna and Anthony fall in love and she convinces him to help her escape her horrible life. And and like it's a big part of who she is. Whereas in this film we get, I feel you, Joanna. And it's just this whole song called Joanna about how, I don't even think that's what it's called. I can't remember right now. But it's just him like obsessing over this woman that's in a window that he can't hear or talk to at all. And it literally just makes her an object like tenfold. She does nothing. She's Sweeney's reason to try and be human again, I guess. And Anthony's love interest. She has like two lines and a song about how she's stuck in a cage. Yeah, I could see having to cut a lot of a musical to make it into a movie, but like Anthony's not even that interesting no, in the movie. So he's like not. they cut her character arc to probably make Anthony's character arc still make sense, but then also like his doesn't really matter? Yeah. At all? Yeah. Like it's literally he's just a device to get her to Sweeney and then she's nothing. Like 
she Sweeney doesn't even like really regard her at all. Yeah. This basically this whole film is kind of the the antithesis of the Bechdel test. Ah, uh, yeah. Because there are three women. One is Joanna, who basically does nothing except wants to fuck and is a 14-year-old sad lady who's trapped because everybody wants to fuck her. Who sings very high. Yes, she is a soprano. Then there's um, the wife, Lucy, who, again, is just Sweeney Todd's motivation. Mm-hmm. And she gets spoilers. She's the beggar woman at the same time because it literally is her. And she's just been driven insane from al- uh, from arsenic poisoning. Yeah. And then we get Mrs. Lovett, who's just in love with Sweeney. The closest thing she gets to not talking about men is her first song about being the worst pie shop owner. Yeah. And- because her other character point is that she's a loving mother to this orphan child. Yeah. And yeah. she wants to start a life with Sweeney. Yeah. Which is cool. Like her arc is still good, but it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. And she's a liar because she knows that Mrs. Uh, or she knows that Lucy is still alive. Yeah. I don't want to go. I'll just jump into I'll do my points out of order because my one of my other points is that one day I will play Mrs. Lovett. This was one of the first musicals I ever fell in love with. So it holds very special place in my heart. I realize we say that a lot on this podcast when we watch films. We're like, yeah, this is very special to us. I mean, it's true. We yeah. have nothing else going in on <laughs> going on in our lives. <laughs> I just love musicals and movies. OK, but yeah, I've worked as a stagehand for the show. I've learned and performed a lot of its songs for musical theater classes, but I've never had the chance to actually be in it. So Joanna is a soprano, as you said earlier, which means that her vocal range is very high. And it's much higher than what I like to sing slash can sing well. Then the I could do it. I could yeah. be Joanna. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. replace another woman's part. <laughs> Wait, I mean, <clears throat> I could be Joanna. <laughs> the ensemble of the show is great, but they don't really have many songs. And then if you go to the movie version, they basically have no songs. But then there's Mrs. Lovett, who is an alto. And she's a very funny awesome character she's very strong-willed she has her own motivations that are centered and grounded in men but still i mean some women just want to bang somebody and that's all that occupies their mind and you get probably one of the more brutal deaths of the entire movie oh yeah after you do a little waltz which was cute you do a little waltz and then you burn yeah in the meat it's very poetic which like Because she's not innocent. She knew that he was murdering people and literally grinds up humans to feed to unknowing other humans. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say she's she didn't really do that much bad, but I don't know. It depends how how much you feel about that. Feeding, forcing people into cannibalism without them knowing it. Listen, I'm a strong advocate for eating the rich. (laughs) And you can't tell me that those people weren't rich. All right. You you think that the working class can afford a shave? Fair, very fair point. Also, you forgot to mention the loving wives of the men that Sweeney didn't kill because someone would remember them. Yes. Yeah. Very true. I do like that point in the that song. But uh, yeah, I could totally see you as uh, Mrs. Lovett. I just got to be older. And so. you wouldn't have to wear a wig either. Just really distress your hair. Crazy curly hair. It's true. I made for that role. Vancouver, hire me. Um, when we can go to plays again. Yeah. Sad face. I also wanted to mention this film back when I first watched it around 2007. I can't remember if I went to the theater or not, but I definitely got a DVD copy when it came out. Um, I really thought that the scene where Lucy goes to the judge's house and there's like the big party and she gets like so overwhelmed and then he like pounces on her and like rapes her. Oh, you mean literally drugs and rapes her? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then the rest of the crowd just like laughs at her. Which is very upsetting. Yeah. That was what I thought. I thought that that was very odd and not very realistic. And it was very like showmanship in this musical. But now being an older woman and you hear the stories and this literally happens at house parties all the time. To to young people, not older women, like teenagers suffer this all the time and people see it. People film it. People post it on social media. And that's like basically a parallel shown in this film about how awful that is. And I really appreciated that. It was very eye opening. Yeah, because they played it off like stage, like kind of just like 
oh, it's part of the musical. It's all uh, just a story, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like you think about it and it's like the darkest aspect of this movie and like yeah. the darkest scene. And there's literally no like madcap or uh, showmanship, like you said, that you could make it less terrifying and yeah. awful. And they tell you that she is so traumatized. Her husband's ripped away from her. She has no more child. She tries to kill herself through arsenic poisoning. Mm hmm. And then she goes mad and nobody helps her. She's left to be a beggar woman on the street, always asking for money and stuff from strangers. Yeah. But she still holds conversations with people. If you actually listen to what she's saying, she says it in a very odd and poetic way, but she still has, she's still a person. She has thoughts and feelings. And I mean, she sings a whole song about uh, black smoke and how something's up in that shop. Yeah, she knew. Yeah. She was the only one that knew. And Toby a bit. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, of the outsiders, she was really smart. She has more songs, too. I understand why they had to cut so many songs. That happens all the time in movie musicals. It's sad because yeah. her songs are great. It's an, another thing, though, that's kind of bad. That's like Lucy. Like you said, Lucy's just a motivator for the men. Like yeah. she's just a plot point to make the judge seem inhumanly evil. And she's a goal for Sweeney Todd for to basically like justify all the things that he's done. It is relatively a lazily written musical when you actually dissect the plot. No, don't shit on the musical. <laughs> like the only thing that isn't lazy is that he doesn't just come back to London and go on a killing spree without any pretense. Like the whole pie shop uh, murdering of just random strangers thing is unique, but it's mostly just an angry man trying to kill another man who took his property from him. Yeah. yeah. His property being humans. Yeah. <laughs> That's how... Old stories are written yeah. and new stories, but with a twist to make you think that they're more woke than they actually are. Well, that's also to say that this is a movie based on a musical, based on a play, based on a short story written fucking forever ago. Kind of loosely based on Jack the Ripper a little bit. <laughs> I have a fact. Ooh. But I won't talk about that now. That's for the scaredy fact section. Hold on. Whoa. Oh, yeah. I can't just start saying scaredy facts in my points. Yeah, that would be uh, chaos. <laughs> I mean, it is a musical episode, so we technically played the musical motifs of a scaredy fact early on, and we can just <gasps> pepper it in whenever the fuck we want. Whoa. My last point. <laughs> Sorry, that was just a stinger. Of the like overture it. of the podcast. Yes. Whoa, overture of the podcast. Let me tell you, I love the overture of the musical. Welcome, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> and the film does a super cool job. I really love the concept of the opening of this movie. When you watch the blood trickle down as the credits are rolling and you hear the overture of this, the musical and we're just following this trail of blood through the depths of this dark building. It's very video gamey when I thought about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I find it's like one of the most Tim Burton-y things besides the like color palette of this film. Yeah. Which is very cool. But it's a great way to introduce the show without using the opening song, which is The Ballad of Sweeney Todd, which I say, but I'm also really sad that they didn't include that. Yeah, that is weird. Is it though? Now I'm trying to think. Like how well known was Sweeney Todd to plebes? At the time of the release of this movie. Does that mean like regular people? Yeah, the, the, the rabble, the common folk. I would say that, well, yeah, before this movie, but still, it's written by Stephen Sondheim. I would say Sweeney Todd is a very big musical. If it you, won, when the year it came out, it won best book, best score, best original musical, all at the Tony Awards. If you asked me who Stephen Sondheim was a year into us dating, I, I still wouldn't be able to answer. Don't you watch Dimension 20? Yeah, after a year of us, of us dating. That's fair. But I feel like in general, like especially pop culture makes a lot of references to musicals. This isn't a golden age musical like Oklahoma or Cinderella or something like that. But it is still a popular musical. Yeah. But yeah, the average person, I guess you're right, would not know about this. I think the only way that I would be able to have picked up on anything Sweeney Todd related is if Seinfeld or Friends made reference to it because Seinfeld makes like a weirdly disproportionate amount of musical jokes. So does Friends. Yeah, because I know specifically with Seinfeld, like um, Jason Alexander is a musical star. Yeah. So it made sense that his character would sing a lot and just mm -hmm. take advantage of that. 
Um, and they live in New York, which I think is the same case for Friends. I think yes. The fact that they live in New York, they make a lot of musical references. I did grow up in Montreal, which is like two hours from New York. That's fair. So you got to go down there and go hit up a Broadway musical whenever you felt like it. It's very hard for me also to think about the average person's musical knowledge because my family was so rooted in musicals yeah. since I was very, very young. I was definitely of the the cultural bubble that was like musicals that's gay and didn't want to watch them like i would get tricked into watching musicals as a child with like the lion king and mm -hmm. nightmare before christmas and stuff like that but tim burton yeah <laughs> really black and white that was tim burton whoa stripes but yeah i don't think i had a good musical understanding well up until we started dating that's fair i have deeply seeped my knowledge into you hot Quink. You're like a sponge going into my well of musicals. You just squeezed me as tight as you could and then dropped me into a musical. Yep. Yeah. We have some more news this episode. Whoa! Next week, we'll be drinking and screaming second season finale. But don't worry. We'll be back with a whole new slew of horror films in season three on Monday, August 3rd. If you want to tell us some feedback and help make season three of Drinking and Screaming extra awesome, you can fill out our audience feedback survey at bit.ly slash DASSurvey2020. Have an idea for a new segment? Wish we'd stop doing something that's super annoying? Just want to tell us you love us? Do it in the audience feedback survey. That's bit.ly slash DASSurvey2020. We only have seven responses so far, and the more feedback, the better. You don't want those seven people determining what you hear next season, do you? Whoa. Whoa. This past week, we had our season finale of Vancouver by Night, a weekly tabletop stream live on Twitch of Vampire the Masquerade. It was so much fun, and we managed to raise over $15,000 for two amazing charities. If you want to watch the stream, you can do so at twitch.tv slash Vancouver by Night, and the charity links will be open until the end of July, so you can donate to help save the lives of rape survivors and LGBTQ plus youth. Woo! This episode of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by the lovely Mad Lab Distilling. They provided us with the Gin 6 and Vanilla Cherry Kombucha used in today's cocktail. Their products are literally award-winning and we love them. Seriously, they've won multiple gold and silver Canadian Artisan Spirit Awards. All the information you could ever need about us is on our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. If you want to help support the show and get some amazing rewards like stickers, coasters, bonus episodes, and more, go to patreon.com slash drinkandscream. That's also where you can vote on our Patreon polls to tell us what we should watch next. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drinkandscream. You can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. And you can join our Discord at bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. We'd love to have some horrific conversations with you on there. Some bloody good conversations. Ooh. <laughs> That's my last point, though. Good. Yeah. Good point. Do you have anything about um, queerness in, uh, especially in musicals? I find it so odd that in musical theater culture, a lot of the men involved are gay, but there are very few musicals that actually revolve around gay stories, which I think is interesting. There are so many queer people in musicals, and there are barely any musicals about queer people. Why is that? I think it's because, like, everyday people... It's hard enough to get them to watch a musical, but then to also make them watch one about queerness. That's like just musical suicide right there. Ugh. Like, oh, man, I can't even think of like you would probably know better than me of like a specific musical that's about queerness. I feel bad that I can't. Oh, yeah. Shrek the yeah. musical. Let your freak flag fly. <laughs> Fun Home is a huge lesbian and com uh, gay coming out. Story. I'm an idiot. Rent. Oh, yeah. Fucking and Rent hell. is big, too, for yeah. sure. Rent's like the queer <laughs> yeah, icon the of musicals. I can't believe that's I've my never mind. seen Rent before, though. But I'll, I, all I know is it's about like AIDS and stuff like yeah. that. It's yeah, it's a movie, movie musical also. So it's much more widely known, mm. which makes sense as why you know it. Also, maybe hair is hair about queerness. I don't know. I only know that it involves n nudity. A lot of nudity. And the 60s. Yeah. 70s. So probably probably about queerness. Yeah. But yeah, like I like I mean, I was pretty um closeted and also 
projected homophobic when I was younger. So mm. the idea of accepting anything musical or queer related at all when I was younger is unheard of. So <sighs> I would have missed and not been involved in a lot of that, which does suck because I noticed a lot that I would have loved to have gone into the dramatic arts. For sure. You would have thrived. But it seems more less fulfilling than what I do now. Yes. <laughs> On a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> Until you find success. Yeah. Then it's really great. <laughs> it's like heroin. It's great right away, sucks for a long time, and then once in a while, a good moment. <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about. I had no real any? queer points. That was... Basically, yeah. Okay, but like, tell me your normal, the points that you had planned to say. My normal straight points. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, the first time I watched this movie was probably with you. And I think that was still when we were like hanging out and partying and stuff to get to know each other. So I don't think I ever actually watched this movie sober. Ah. And it is a lot darker than I would have anticipated a movie of this like style being which i know sounds weird because of this just the it's literally appearance. the plot is a man murdering people <laughs> yeah but like you said like looking at that trailer i mean people get fucking murdered in movies all the time That's and it true. can be an upbeat yeah cheery fucking whatever <laughs> but like it's tim burton who coming out of like nightmare before christmas which is about Halloween discovering how rad christmas is mm -hmm. uh edward scissorhands which is about a fake person almost killing the girl next door with his scissor hands and becoming a sick barber. Hey, Winona Ryder! and Batman. I would have like, I going into this movie, I just expected like, sure. Aesthetically it's goth and edgy, but narratively it's probably like a barber discovers his love of Barbary as he goes on a murder, murderous rampage and decides to just become a successful barber. <laughs> but then I realized that Tim Burton didn't write this. Yeah. So, like Stephen Sondheim wrote it to be extremely dark and then Tim Burton slapped his like hot topic uh, edgy emo kid of the early aughts <laughs> style onto it, which tricked me into thinking it would be like Nightmare Before Christmas. That's fair. But then it's a story about a woman being raped and trying to kill, kill herself and then her husband killing a bunch of people and then killing her and then getting mad, killing the only person that actually likes him and then getting killed by uh, his ward. And yep. then, yeah. Yep. And then you're just kind of like sitting there at the credits and you're like, what did I just watch? There was no Christmas in that at all. <laughs> I watched this on December 21st, 2007, and there was no reference to Christmas. What the heck? That, that actually to it. In the trailer, it says coming this Christmas. So you're like, fuck yeah. T another Tim Burton Christmas movie. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was really surprising now, especially like like becoming more aware of like. Uh, sexual abuse and like just generally the treatment of that sort of thing in movies like looking at this it's like kind of tone deaf a bit but also they tell it to you enough that you're like wow that's fucking dark or if you're not aware of like the actual impact of uh, sexual abuse on people you're like ha a fun scene where it's a party and people screamed and now Sweeney's gonna kill some people yeah so but it's like I don't know it's a Triple A Hollywood movie. They don't take any political stance whatsoever. So I mean, they did show how much it ruined her life. But in a musical, dramatic way. Yeah. I, I drank arsenic and then I became a papa. Not like I needed therapy and every waking moment I'm triggered by the men that walk past me. Yeah. It's I'm I'm a whimsical uh what's crazy the, lady. What's the please, sir, <laughs> can I have some more? Oliver Twist. I'm a whimsical Oliver Twist style papa running around the street saying crazy shit. <laughs> that smoke is black. It must be bodies. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think they take a, they don't present it in a way that's informing anybody of the impact of the actions that were done to her. Yeah. But also it's a Hollywood movie made in the 2007. So you can't expect that they would take a stance on that and do it. And the movie's not about her. It's, it's not about even about her. Sweeney Todd. She just gets fridged in the first act so that Sweeney can go on his murderous rampage of fun and blood. Woo! Yeah. Anyways, my second point <laughs> is that the movie just sort of ends, right? Yeah. It's very interesting. It kind of, it feels like it could set up a sequel with the fact that Toby is the one that kills Sweeney with his razor. And he just gets super horny about it. Just like 
Just a 21-year-old sociopath running around doing what Sweeney did. I mean, he's had a really tough life. Sweeney killed the only woman who ever showed him love mm-hmm. by burning her alive. True. It's a lot. And he like, just after he realized he's been eating humans for the last like month and a half. Yeah, And we don't get any closure of him or Joanna and Anthony or anything. Really. Yeah, there's literally like the last thing Anthony says is I'll be right back. I'm going to get Mr. Todd. The last thing we see of Joanna is her in the barber shop as t- uh, she witnessed Sweeney just murder someone. Yeah. Like everyone's kind of like got loose ends that they're just going to spiral off into. And d- is that how the place ends? Just like no, like, yeah. Because it makes sense. It's called Sweeney Todd. So the moment that he dies, it's like, well, that's it. Go home. Boom. I think there might be like a reprise of the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. I can't remember. Yeah. Because there's like not even a denouement at all. It's nope. the yeah. credits is your denouement. There's the lights come up and the, the characters come out to bow. <laughs> and then they do that. Yay! They do the ribbon thing where they hold the ribbon to their neck and then toss it out. That was cool in the office. Yeah. I like that one. Which leads perfectly into my final point. <gasps> is that I really just want to see a full version of the office rendition of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> they do the ballad of Sweeney Todd for one. So yeah. I like it. And that's specifically where I learned because uh, Daryl's like, Shh, if we miss the overture, we'll miss the musical themes uh, later on. And we won't be able to recognize them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time we watched through the office and you'd never seen it before. And then like, the episode just starts with them singing Sweeney Todd and you're like, oh, my God, I freaked the fuck out. Because, again, much like having Jason Alexander on your show, if you have Ed Helms, then you might as well get him to sing at some point. Yeah, and not he sings just a lot. Really awkward acapella. <laughs> yeah, I love that episode. Mm-hmm. And he makes a good Anthony. He's a bit older. Yeah, for but sure. Like. But it was community theater, so you take what you can get, especially when it comes to men, which is why it's so aggravating that there are so many male parts in musical theater when there are never enough male actors, especially in community theater. Well, I found a fact. Kelly's fact. Uh, Pirelli in 2005, the Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd was played by a woman. Woo! That's cool. Yeah. So eat it. Did they still kill her? Was she played by a woman, but playing a man or was she playing a woman? I don't know. Her costume just looked like a woman. Huh. So I didn't look too much into it because I thought I would accidentally slip into facts. But yeah, the 2005 Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd, Pirelli was played by Donna Lynn Chaplin. Champlin? Yeah. Champlin. And I think the picture that Sean and I are looking at right now is her costume. She's got an accordion, which seems like the character didn't have an accordion, but I don't know. <laughs> That's very cool, though. I love that. Also, um, having an Italian grandfather, I find that character very offensive. He would be much fatter. (laughs) Speaking of changing things up, the movie actually does something with the character of Toby that is very different from how Toby is usually played. Usually he's an adult man who has mental disabilities. Oh. But they kind of switched him in this to make him just a regular boy orphan. Which is good, because I imagine they would also be tone deaf with that one. Yeah. Also, how many Harry Potter actors are in this movie? There was an IMDb trivia fact about it, but I didn't include it. But there's uh, Alan Rickman, the Beatle, who's Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter, who is... Beatrix Lestrange. Yep. Uh, Anthony, who plays Grindelwald. Johnny Depp, who plays... Oh, no, wait. Johnny Depp plays Grindelwald. And then Anthony plays young Grindelwald in uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald movie. Oh. Huh. So there's, I think, five. I'm surprised that Sasha Baron Cohen wouldn't be in a Harry Potter at this point. Man, that would be cool. Yeah. Is he from the UK? I I don't know if he is French or if he... One sec. He plays so many characters. I don't know what the real Sasha Baron Cohen is at this point. I don't know if he's Ali G. Yeah. I don't know well, if he's Borat. I don't know if he's fucking that other one that he played. I ask you because a teacher of mine from John Abbott College, Zach Fraser, went to school with Sasha Baron Cohen. They went to theater school together. And he, I know the one story he told us was that he would frequently show up to classes that they weren't supposed to in a complete character and would not break for the entire class. He would just take the class as that character. <laughs> uh, he is English. Okay. Damn. So then, yeah, he could have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was a goblin. 
I don't think so. No. It's, it's time for. Kitty <laughs> 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 facts. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story or should I? So, whenever Shar and I watch a horror movie or a musical movie, well, we will go into bed, open up IMDb, and look up all the trivia facts to make us less scared or musical. <laughs> less musical. Less musical. <laughs> less whimsical as we need to go to sleep. <laughs> and so we have introduced that aspect of our relationship into our podcast. Woo. Woo. <laughs> nice. That was good. Starting with the budget. This movie had an estimated budget of 50 million. Opening weekend, it only made 9.3 million. Aha, people don't like musicals. It's true. But don't worry, because cumulative worldwide gross is 153.4 million. I wish that we could get facts for opening weekend not in the US, because I imagine like British people liked this movie. But IMDb is American. That's true. So we they're like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm the best. We need to go to imdb.eu. Not to shit on Americans. Or IMDb. No. We I love think, both. I think it's a safe time to punch down or punch up at Americans. <laughs> Even though most of our listeners are American. I, and I know that they're wearing a mask and I respect them for that. And if they're not, I'm going to punch up at them. <laughs> yeah. The first fact. Composer Stephen Sondheim, notoriously protective of his stage works long resisted offers to film this story. When Tim Burton expressed interest, however, Sondheim relented when pleased with Burton's vision for the project and on the condition that he would maintain casting approval. Burton would only agree to direct with Johnny Depp in the lead and though Sondheim feared Depp's vocals would be too rock-oriented, the composer approved the actor after a vocal audition. Also, interestingly enough, in his recent book about his career as a songwriter, it's called Finishing the Hat, Sondheim states that this is the only adaptation of one of his works for the screen that he actually approves of. The are there, only one. Are there other works of his that are on screen? Oz? Oz isn't Sondheim. There are many. Are there? There are. Do I, I was going to make a Cats the Musical joke, but then that's Andrew Lloyd Webber, not Stephen Sondheim. So my apologies. I feel like Sondheim would at least have the dignity not to write a movie where cats try to outsing each other so they can go to heaven. I mean, yeah, <laughs> very true. Next one. I have uh, I thought this was interesting. In some of the scenes where Sweeney is opening his razor very quickly, it's actually a mechanical razor. So there's a button that Johnny Depp would press to have the razor open, which he is able to hide with his hand or his finger. And it's Johnny Depp specifically asked the props department to make him that because he was having trouble opening the razors, especially when it was so quick at mm -hmm. certain points. And as you said earlier, this music is very syncopated, very difficult rhythms to hit. And as you also know from dating me, when you're singing and moving in songs, you got to do it with the musical accents. Yeah. So it's got to be quick sometimes. Sometimes you got to just press a button. Yeah. So it goes. I mean, I'm, I find it hard to believe that Barbara's razors don't have that already. <laughs> Maybe the more modern ones do. But these were very special antique razors. Ah, that makes sense. Some, that reminds me of some douchebag kid in my high school used to have a comb that was a switchblade. Oh, God. So he would like switch it and then comb his hair and it didn't have grease in it. That always confused me. God damn it. He was just combing his dry ass hair. Weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My next one. I got to power through because I have a bunch and I don't want this episode to go long. Auditions. I have a few facts. I put them all into one about auditioning. Ooh. To prove the casting of Helena Bonham Carter and to combat any rumor of nepotism because everybody knows that Carter and, and Burton were uh, romantically involved. The actress sent Sondheim 12 audition tapes of her singing and he actually was impressed by her vocals. So he approved the actress who rehearsed her songs while practicing baking techniques in order to perfect the quick syncopated rhythm of the music. And then I have a little tidbit about Sasha Baron Cohen, who, for his audition, sang the entire score of Fiddler on the Roof for Tim Burton. That seems like something that he would do. Yeah. I really wonder if it's he took the entire score, but like condensed it. Or did he literally try and do two hours of musical? Uh, I, <laughs> no, I think he did it all in one go. 
<laughs> Do you want a fun Sasha Baron Cohen update? Sure. Uh, so as of like three days prior to recording this, he infiltrated the Washington 3%, which is a well-known like white supremacy militia. I can tell this is going in a very good direction. <laughs> he, uh, he basically funded a musical stage for their like gathering, paid for the entire event's security that he hired himself, dressed up as like a country bumpkin farmer redneck, got up on the stage and started singing just like racist vitriol about like, let's kill those black people by slicing them up and, and gassing them like the Nazis used to do, to which people started singing along with him. And then the like director of the event tried to take Sasha off of stage or like shut off the power. But his security that Sasha got was blocking every entrance to get on stage or to take power. So he stood up there just like having all these people sing along with him as people were filming them just being extremely overtly racist. Oof. Good times. That's kind of bad, though. Well, the idea is that they like those kind of militias get together and just make it look like a family get together. We're just good, hardworking Americans just ah, trying to support our so he's country. Outing them. Yeah. And okay. he just got them all to take off their masks and be extremely racist in public. All right. Yeah. Good on you. And then he had to quickly escape. <laughs> <laughs> I think my next point, you pointed out Helena Bonham Carter's boobs. I think in the film, they uh, shift sizes a little bit. Oh, do they? And one could assume that this is because her costumes involve corsets and whatever different boobage shifts may happen. But it's because she was pregnant and they filmed this out of order. So her boobs do vary in size because they grow during pregnancy, of course. Interesting. I can't believe they burned a pregnant woman. Uh, when filming began, actually, there was to be an inclusion of the spirits of Sweeney Todd's victims, which include Anthony Head and Sir Christopher Lee as two of the actors. And this is where I get really sad because these spirits, when I was doing the trivia for this, I went, oh, and you were like, <laughs> what? And I was like, I'll tell you in the episode. So they would sing the ballad of Sweeney Todd and its reprises and the epilogue. And these songs were actually recorded, but they got cut from the film because Tim Burton felt that they were too theatrical. Oh. Which I'm so sad. If they had the fucking first song of this actual musical in the film, it would be the best. It would set a different tone to just have ghosts on camera, though. Yeah, it would. I agree that it doesn't really fit with where he was going with it. But I just want the song to be in the movie. <laughs> I want to look up this version of the song. I'm sure it's on. Actually, I have the CD of this, the musical soundtrack, the, the like movie version. they would release the cut songs to the It was disc fully with- recorded, but cut. Still, I don't think they would do that. I had a special edition disc. I'm sure we'll find them if they're not on there. Yeah. So Lee's appearance was completely cut. Uh, Christopher Lee. From the film, but Head, uh, Anthony Head, had an uncredited one-line cameo, which was after the competition. Um, his character is the one that asks Todd if he has a business of his own that Ooh, he can go to. Yeah. After I cut it a hair. <laughs> All right. We I have- shave it a face. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett are singing the priest, have a little bit of priest. Yes. Yeah, where they're like pointing out all the The one where she's like, let's kill all these people and turn them into pie. And Todd's like, yeah. Yeah, that seems fun. (laughs) At the end of that, they strike the exact same pose as the cover of the playbill of Sweeney Todd. Ooh. And the promotional uh, materials that they used of the original musical. That's cool. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Uh, A few more little references. The address on Mrs. Lovett's shop, number 186, is a reference to the London legend of Sweeney Todd which placed his barber shop at this very address. Don't they know that they should have had it as 237? <laughs> Come on. Uh, another quick tidbit. The film's conductor, Paul Gemignani, sorry if I butchered that, was music di- musical director and conductor for the original Broadway production in 1979. Wow. And he was able to be the film's conductor, which is awesome. That's a good get. So cool. Mm. Now I have one final fact. Was is, it, is it about the guns and cars? And it is not. No. I'm sorry. But was Sweeney Todd a real person? It's very debated. 
And by debated, I mean, it's not a real person at all, (laughs) but it's very popular that there's this like crazy theory that he is, but it's been debunked so many times by historical experts. It's fair. But for the playwright who wrote the piece, which inspired Stephen Sondheim's musical and Tim Burton's subsequent Sweeney adaptation, Sweeney Todd was, and I quote, pure fiction. No one has ever succeeded in finding a shred of evidence as to the existence of a demon barber thereabouts. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's just we we couldn't find anyone that was a demon. <laughs> but no, like we his, found a lot of murderous barbers historians. But we couldn't find a demon one. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's all debunked. There was no real Sweeney Todd. I mean, I even before watching this movie, I assumed that the whole premise was about like a Jack the Ripper character, just a more whimsical I mean, one. Yeah. A murderer. You could say that about almost anything. But in London, killing people that no one would remember mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Do you have a final thought for me? I didn't. But while recording this episode, even just watching the trailer made me want to watch this movie again. It's such a good movie. And the songs are so good. Yeah, it's very good. And as I said, I want a full office episode. I thought that was funny that that was one of your points, because my final thought is that I really want to see a high quality production of this musical done live. And that's not to take away from this movie, because this film was excellent. It was so good that I just want more and I need it now. And I'm sad that Vancouver did one last year, but we couldn't go. It would be cool to see the like theatrical conceits that they do for a lot of the scenes. Yeah. Like, how do they show him killing people? Just the idea of all the blood that's supposed to be on stage. Also, how do they do that? I just realized something. He's Sweeney Todd's a barber, right? Like he was nothing else before going off. Yeah, no. How does he know how to make the mechanical engineering required to make the chair that flips back and He's drops smart. people in the basement? I don't know. Like barber equals engineer. <laughs> well, that's been Sweeney Todd, a movie about the demon barber of fleet. Next week is our season finale, and we'll be watching a movie that we kept referencing this season, The Invisible Man from 2020. Street. Don't forget about the audience feedback survey at bit.ly slash survey 2020 And remember, always scream responsibly. Bye! I was going to make a point how this is basically the Joker and Harley Quinn because she calls him Mr. T. Ah. Hi, Mr. T. Very true. You're going to love me eventually, Mr. T. You're just too busy killing that bat. (laughs) 